0: Hello and welcome to the Recovering From Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering From Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: So this week we have um, J.R. Becker, and uh, he holds a BA in philosophy and a Juris Doctor from Emory University's School of Law. Uh, After becoming a father, he was inspired to author the Annabelle and Aiden children book series. The first book on evolution was by by Christian World News, which I think is an amazing um, accomplishment, by the way. Congratulations, that's so epic. (laughs) Um, And then he went on to become a number one bestseller on Amazon, as it should. Uh, since it launched in late tw- uh, 2016, the six-book series has won various awards, raised $70,000 on Kickstarter, and has sold over 2,000 copies. Joseph lives in New Jersey when his wife, Leah, and two children, Annabelle and Aiden. So, hello! Welcome back. Not back, sorry. I'll have it. Welcome to our RFRx. How are you feeling today?
2: I'm really excited to be here. I'm really grateful to be here and I'm doing well.
1: You know,
0: I got to, I got to, I got to tell you, Jr. that, um, uh, I stumbled across your Kickstarter for the, uh, book about, uh, death and uh, that you had for Annabelle and Amy. I stumbled across that Kickstarter at the perfect time for me. Cause it's something that I've been struggling with for a long, long time. And when I saw what you were doing and I got it, I'm like, I'm going, I need to back this project and- when you were done with it and and the the books went out and i received four copies for myself to give around um it just you know i have one for me i have one for you too and i'm not ashamed to read uh, to say that i read a children's book but it really really helped it really simplified things and uh, just it was just beautiful work thank you so much for for doing this
2: that means a lot thank you um we uh it's funny because i didn't even it it wasn't even my idea to write that a lot of I um, I'm very interactive with the secular homeschool community and a lot of them were asking me to write that book. And then I said, uh, oh, you know, I have to really, you know, I, I can't write it until it really clicks and I think of how I'm going to write it and how the story is. And then I, I knew, I, I said to them, I, I do not want to call it what happens when we die. I can't call it that because the D word is very heavy for kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's no one's going to want to buy it. And a lot of um, moms and dads and, and specialists and experts and therapists told me, um, I, have to, I have to just say it the way it is. They said, don't beat around the bush. You know, I wanted to call it what happens when we go. Oh. And a, a that lot
0: sounds of, like a Dr. Seuss type of title though.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know, it'll be about death and I could have through the pictures they'll see and you know, a childhood education specialist told me that will confuse children. So, you know, while I'm proud of the book and and by the way, this is our most popular book. I think it's the most important book in our series. It's the most popular book by far. It made the most impact, but I'm really grateful of all the people that helped guide me and inspired me and told me um, ways that really helped it come to fruition. Uh, So, yeah, but thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed that and it it was meaningful.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, over 40 years old and uh, I got a ton out of this children's book. Uh, Not ashamed to admit it, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little bit. (laughs) Yeah i just quickly i'll say um right after the, i think it was right after the kickstarter someone wrote to me that his mother was very ill and he wanted a copy first of all he got a picture of her face in the book because as you know one of our yeah at one of our kickstarter rewards that we try to get our readers to to send in pictures of their faces of them or their loved ones or their children and we put them in the book because we want to be a part of a community so uh, he put his mother in the book. Unfortunately, his mother passed away right oh. before he got the book. But he sent me a video of him reading the book at his mother's uh, funeral and memorial. And that was very emotional that I was a part of that. This is just a, what the cover looks like for yeah. Me. Um Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So um, what's your origin story i mean were you ever uh, religious were you ever indoctrinated into some sort of belief system at all like how, what, what you know i i would imagine that we're eventually going to get into how this book kind of or this book series kind of formulated but tell us a little bit about your backstory
2: sure so um so i grew up my parents before they as they got married and started to have children they decided to become religious Um, I was raised in a Orthodox Jewish home. Um, It was, I had a good childhood, mostly. Um, It was a loving household. Things were fine. Um, As I got older, things were not so fine. I started to question a lot of um, beliefs. My wife makes fun of me that I'm a black and white person, but when it comes to certain things, I look at them as, you know, they're true or they're not true. And I just want to know. And I think when someone really enjoys their religion and the ritual and the practice, they tend to question less. I really didn't enjoy a lot of it. And I wanted to, I kind my attitude was, you know, if I have to do this, then I have to do it. But I want to know what do I have to do and what do I not have to do? Mm-hmm. Judaism is full of rules, you know, 24 hours, 20 for, for 25 hours every weekend, you can't flick a light switch. You can't use electricity. You can't drive. Um, anytime you ever eat meat, you have to wait six hours before you eat any dairy. Um, you know, kosher Sabbath. I mean, you, you can't wear wool and linen. Um, and then there were so many things that I thought there's no textual basis for this, you know, head coverings and, right. uh,
0: you, you, you couldn't have dairy a, after meat? For, it's like, correct,
2: so, correct. All Orthodox Jews, part of kosher is you can't have meat and milk together. So you do
1: they explain why? Like, is there a reason why they, or is it just like, this is the rule, you know, suck it they, up and do it?
2: So for some things, they do explain the reason. And for other, I love that we're jumping into this. For some things, they explain the reason. And for other things, they do not. And kosher is one of the things they do not.
0: Hmm. So, you can't so have a cheeseburger.
2: You can't have a cheeseburger. And not only that, even if the burger is kosher and the cheese is kosher, you still can't have it because wow. you can't have meat and milk together. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, then it's like, well, if you take a bite of meat and then a bite of dairy, you know, how long do you have to wait in between? So, it depends what your tradition is, depending on where you're grandparents and your, their parents are from what country they're from. So some people wait three hours, some people wait six hours. Um, but it was just extremely rule oriented and it made me question like, is there a God, but is there a God who cares how many hours I wait between meat and milk? And why does he care when people, when children all over the world are dying and all this, I mean, it's, I just had a lot of questions and I remember, But one of my earliest memories was, um, I was with my brother, I would go to synagogue and people would pray and they would close you know, grown men and grown women would close their eyes and sway back and forth. And I always thought, like, do they really, really think that they're talking to someone that they're being heard? Um, and I was a kid and I thought, you know, when I get older, I'll understand, I guess I'll understand because I must be, you know, why, why does it seem so crazy to me, but it doesn't seem crazy to anybody else. And I remember talking to my brother, he reminded me, and he said to me that I told him like, he asked me if I believe. And I said, yeah, I believe, I guess I'm supposed to believe. I I believe. But, but then, you know, we asked each other, like, do you really, really believe? And I, I just always had those doubts. And, um, kind of cutting to the chase, many years later, you know, I spent many years, I found my way, I avoided the things I didn't like, I, I, I you know, leaned towards the things I did like, I had my outlets. Um, but when I was older, and I was after college, after law school, I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And there was a rabbi named Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman. And he gave a speech um, called Rational Proofs for Judaism. And it completely blew my mind. Not so much what he said, but the, the fact, I didn't even know that that conversation really existed out in the open. I, I kept waiting for like lightning to strike us all for even talking about it. <laughs> and it, that didn't happen. Um, but I spoke to him afterwards and he said he debates atheists online. So, you know, I'll just cut the story short, because I'm sure this is a common story with many people. But I spent the next four to six years kind of obsessing about, you know, this question, the God question. Um, And I watched every YouTube debate, and I bought all the books by every rabbi and pastor and atheist and priest. And I read all the arguments. And in a very analytical way, I just went, I, I kept hammering away. And I was just like, wow, and I I came to my conclusions. And um, I I was kind of left with a, I was kind of amazed. But I was also left with a huge emptiness, like what now? How does it all work? If you know, I, I knew that science stuff worked in some way. But in the end, I always had believed that God did it. And when I think when you believe that God did everything, the way in which he did it becomes a lot less interesting. And as soon as that dissolves, the way everything actually works becomes a lot more interesting. Right. And I was very excited about how it all works. Why do I have two eyes? How did this happen? Why don't I have four? Why don't I have eight fingers on each hand? Why are trees green? You know, how does this all work? Why is it that, you know, mountain climbers who live in the mountains in Nepal uh, could breathe thinner air than I can? How does that work? So... I learned all I could. And I was so inspired by it. And my friends and family were like, we don't want to hear anything more about it. And I don't blame them. I feel bad for them. So I'm like, I needed an outlet. So children's books, um, for more reasons that I could get into later if you all want. But I thought children's books were a great idea. And I said, I'm going to write a children's book about evolution. And um, I did. And it was banned. And that kind of actually scared me. It was not pleasant at the beginning because I wasn't used to that kind of thing and that kind of attention. And then the just the support I got um, and the sales and people were reading it and really sending me encouragement made me want to write a second book. So I wrote a second book on critical thinking and mythology, and I mailed it to Christian News Network with a letter. <laughs>
0: Can we um, back up? You said that your first yeah, book was banned. very
2: fast. Feel free to cut in any time.
0: Okay. Your first book was banned, and it was about evolution. Where was it banned? It wasn't banned in the U.S., was it?
2: So, so when I say banned, there was an article by the Christian News Network that okay. said, do not read this book. The, this book was written by a group of aggressive atheists, which, by the way, <laughs> Yeah. The head of, so you could go to Google right now. Maybe Amaya could find the link and put it in the chat. But if you put into okay. Google Annabelle Aiden, aggressive atheist, <laughs> you will probably find the article by the Christian News Network. Oh, and um, they don't know. First of all, there's no way. My atheism has nothing to do with evolution. I mean, you know, so many, obviously so many religious people completely accept evolution You know, second of all, I'm one person. I'm not a group of people. I mean, they didn't, I don't even know how they, they just wrote this whole scathing article about this like group of aggressive atheists who came together to indoctrinate children with Darwinism. (laughs) And uh, with Darwinist propaganda, I think they wrote. So um, So your subtitle is
1: Increasingly Aggressive Atheists Target Children in New Evolution Promoting Book. Lovely, I love it. It's amazing. Yes,
2: I'm promoting it. I'm promoting science and knowledge. So um, so I wrote a public response, and I sent them a second book called Oh, the Things We Believed, about critical thinking. And I was hoping they would ban that too, but I think uh, they knew what I was up to, and they ignored me. Um,
0: so your second book was on critical thinking then. Your first book was evolution. And you wrote that by yourself, I would imagine, with yes. some help from other folks?
2: So I wrote it by myself and I like to think of things chronologically as a story. Um, I was told not to write it because evolution is not a story. And I told that person or those people that it is a story and it's it oh,
0: absolutely with, it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it starts with the first living thing trying to make copies of itself like we all do. And um, well, like some of us do and um, and, you know, genetic mutations, you know, DNA replicating accidents, natural selection, but I show how it goes from a single-celled bacteria, the first living things, to uh, you know, to worms and fish and the Tiktaalik climbing up onto land and amphibians and primates and humans and that's That's it. And I try to end all of my books with a moral lesson um, because I think moral lessons are great. But when we could reap them from things that are actually true, that are from concrete facts in the natural world, that's even better. So, so I, you know, I end with the, with, by telling children that we are all literally related. You don't need a metaphor for this. We are actually literally related by blood. Every single human being from every single country of every single race, we are all made of the same stardust. And we are all made of the same stuff, and we all we all evolve from the same common ancestor. And we all have to be kind to each other um, because we share the world together. And that's it, you know. That's that first book. So.
1: And how did you manage? Because obviously your background is in law, um, and writing a children's book about evolution and more interestingly, I think death, which is something that I don't think any other author has touched with for children. How did you approach it? Like, that must have been so, you know, such a new thing to do. How do you, how,
2: (laughs) how do you do it? Um, So I am, even though I'm not the illustrator, I hired an illustrator named Max Rambaldi who I'm extremely grateful to and who really turned my written word into magic. I've, I've always been a writer I've always been – I majored in philosophy, and I've always grappled with these big questions. And I've, been, I've always been good at breaking complex phenomena <clears throat> down to, to the bare, bare necessities to teach to children. I, I really enjoyed doing that. I was a drum teacher for about 10 years. I, uh, when we were little kids, I used to set up video game lessons to teach my brother all, <laughs> how to teach video games. I I started writing but never published um, a, a, a paper on all the arguments about God, and I haven't ever published it, but I, I've always been writing. And I actually self-published a novel. It's on Amazon now. It's called The Spider and the Ant. When I was in law school, I wrote this, this novel, and I self-published it, and... Um, I'm extremely proud of it. And I think it's wonderful, but I feel like it's one of those things that's like, it's my work and it's super weird. And most people that read it don't enjoy it. So I urge everyone to not purchase it. uh, There's one guy out there who left some review and he like raves about it. And I'm like, you totally understood what I was trying to do. And I don't know who he is, but um, it's kind of like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy type of book. But it's it's like a 900-page fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, with nations and wars and gods. And each character satirizes a different philosopher. And, the, and yeah, what, one of the nations is like Plato's Republic. And they go to war with a nation that, like, worships Aristotle. But his name is backwards, El Tatsara. And it's, it's a whole... Uh, De, the, the main character is after Rene Descartes. But anyway, so I had that background. And then I realized children's books, even though they definitely require a unique set of skills, they are a lot easier in terms of quantity of time. And, you know, people buy children's books. People don't buy 900 page novels by people they never heard of before, but people <laughs> will buy children's books. So that's how I got into it. And that's how I was able to do it. I, I had done all the research for, pu- for how to publish on my novel Years earlier,
0: so you have five uh, Annabelle and Aiden books in the series currently, right? Uh, evolution, critical thinking, death. Um, the uh, the other two are escaping me. What are the other two?
2: So the first, so there's actually six. So six. The, the first one is evolution. The second one is is critical thinking and myths. The third one is the big bang and how we're all made of stardust. Yes, yes, yes. It's called worlds within us. The fourth one is death, and then the And then the fifth one is Sapiens on human evolution. And then the sixth one just came out. It's called This World Was Made for Me. And it's on evolution, but it's all told through mass extinctions. So it goes... (laughs) Right, it's wonderful for for happy children. (laughs) Um, But it basically teaches us that this world... It's an environmental book as well. And it teaches us this world was not made for us, but we are this world does not belong to us, but we belong to it. And we have to treat it well. And we kind of look at all the mass extinctions. And before each mass extinction, whichever species is kind of dominating earth at that time, whether it's dinosaurs or bacteria, they kind of think the world was made for them. This world was made for me. And then all of them, you know, die, except for one of them because that one just happens to have some, random genetic mutation. And then that one kind of repopulates the earth and forgets what happened in the past. And then says this world was made for me and on and on until it gets to humans and climate change. And, you know, towards the middle of the book, you kind of see Aiden standing on top of a pile of all the extinct species, <laughs> um, wow. you know, and That's he's amazing. on top, arrogantly saying this world was made for me. And then annabelle's like i think it's getting warmer and then um and then at the end they learn you know we are part of the world we have to be careful we have to treat it um kindly and it'll be kind to us and it it ends with a beautiful message but it also does teach some humility to to man So. so it was a
0: kind of a cautionary tale uh lessons all right through repetition nice
2: I'm so Uh, so, happy you just said that because the back cover says a playful cautionary tale. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Do you, uh, do you have another book that you're uh, in the works on uh, number seven?
2: I have two, I have four or five ideas in my head, but I have two ideas that I want to do next and I'm waiting for the aha moment for it all to come together. The two ideas are aliens and gods. So I want to make a book about the golden record, which a surprisingly huge amount of people don't know about that. We, uh, we sent a, 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 is it the Voyager? Or yeah, Voyager the Voyager one and two. There you go. We sent that to space with a golden record and a record player with sounds from the earth. So if aliens find it, they know where we are. There's a map. Um, I think there's pictures of humans, right? So I want to make a book. I'm thinking of a book called The Golden Record and about aliens and and the search for extraterrestrial life, the Drake equation, the Fermi paradox. I don't know how familiar the listeners listeners are with those, but I would explore those. And then maybe a book called The Book of Gods or The Small Book of Big Gods and talk about – uh, history of belief
0: <laughs> the small book of big gods that's awesome
2: you like i think you're the actually the first person i'm telling you that too oh. okay okay. <laughs> okay that's better than the book of gods i'll have to write that down okay. <laughs> so it seems like you're no. oh, oh, go ahead well, no i just realized maybe i should call it the big book of small gods <laughs> We'll have to talk about
0: that. <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, we've got a few, few folks in the chat that are kind of given some ideas too. Okay. Okay. So it, it sounds to me like, um, your the curiosity that was sort of sparked by this, uh, the rabbi that you heard talk a long time ago, really kind of set you down on this path of learning more about the world. Um, and, uh, you, are you, you have children yourself, I would imagine. Yes. And, yep. uh, um, how do you keep that curiosity alive? Like the curiosity you have in yourself, how do you keep it alive in your children?
2: Right. So, so I'm in a very interesting situation because I live in a religious community. Um, My spouse is religious and I'm a complete atheist. So it's a fine line and I'm learning more every day, but the most important thing to me is to maintain a level of objectivity in children um if i was if i was extremely religious i would want the same thing and it's something that my wife agrees with and basically to get to the bottom line i think it's very i think it's absolutely essential to tell children right away no matter what you believe or not believe children need to know that there are different people in the world that believe different things. And that is something that a lot of people that are dogmatic in their religiosity or their atheism or whatever, they really try to shield their children from. They want their children to grow up in what they would call a safe, not confusing place. Basically they don't want their children to be confused too much or thinking too much, uh, you know, depending on how you say it. But, um, I really tell my children, like, you know, some people believe this and some people believe this and you should go talk to them about it. You shouldn't only talk to me, you know, this is what I think, but you should totally talk to uncle Ben because he, he has a totally different picture. And the the more, the more children are what some people might call confused, the more they're going to learn because life is confusing. And I mean, Sure, they could learn. They could live like an artificial plastic life, where they're never, they're never confused, and they have this perfectly neat, uh, sanitized, uh, you know, bottle of belief. uh, Of I wouldn't even call them beliefs; just kind of like things they're parroting. But yeah, I, I think to keep kids curious and make sure that when they're older, their belief system is standing on a house that they themselves built. I think it's important for them to be exposed to. As many viewpoints as possible in a gentle and um, right in a in a safe way. Yeah,
0: you're basically describing exactly my childhood. I was raised in a very uh, sheltered environment and full of Christians, and uh, maybe uh, uh, ran across a few Mormons but everybody else seemed weird. Jehovah's Witnesses seemed weird. Christian scientists seemed weird as a kid to me. And I never had heard about Buddhists or Hindus or um, even um, uh, Islam or Muslim at, uh, Muslims at uh, when I was a kid. And it took me going into college and taking a world religions class until I, it, and it really shocked me as like how many other different religions are out there. Um, and it was something I, I got in my teen, late teens and early twenties that uh, I wish I had had uh, access to much earlier.
2: Right. And then another, another thing I would say is try to, um, I don't know if anyone here heard of Dale McGowan, but he writes books about how to keep chip, children curious as well and he says something in one of his podcasts that well you know he, he he says it in a tongue-in-cheek way but he says lie to your children and what he means by that is not actually lie to your children but kind of say say lies that they that are so ridiculous you know kind of poke fun at them and joke with them um, I'm trying to think okay so just a few nights ago, my daughter, my my daughter lost a tooth a week ago, and I finally got some cash, and she really wanted the tooth fairy, and I put it under her pillow. And the next day, she said, "You know, it was you, it was mommy." And I said, "It wasn't me, and it wasn't mommy." And uh, we're dog sitting this dog, Milo. I said, "Maybe it was the dog. Maybe it was the tooth fairy." You know, and I'm and she started, "Daddy, are you lying?" And I'm like, "Think about it. What you know, like try to." Try to um, say things that you that are kind of comical lies that you know would cause them to think in, in in a fun way. And I think like Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. I, I, maybe I'm ruining a poll question, but my opinion is that these are huge opportunities to teach children critical thinking in a in a huge way through a back and forth dance.
0: It sounds like uh, instead of telling the children how to think you're instead of giving them fish you're teaching them fishing in this in a sense right. um because th- th- i can kind of see that my upbringing i was told how to think but uh, the curiosity was something that they couldn't qu- um quench and i that what that ended up for me being the, the what really got me out of this but it, it sounded like uh, for you, you're you're trying to train them on how to think critically uh, yeah. when it comes to these uh, these things. And so, telling um, outlandish lies in some sense is is that way to help them think critically. Is, is that? Yep.
2: Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and at what age do you start doing that? Because I would assume that if they are like two and the family wants to celebrate Santa Claus, you're not going to be like, well, what do you think about Santa so? You know, at what age they introduce them to these to these questions.
2: Right. My kids are are six and eight, and I think it's 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 that's the perfect time. Um, maybe when they turn four, four to five. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely even when they're four, they should be told that dif- that there are people in the world that believe different things. I a lot of people would agree with me. I think they would say that's too confusing for a child to handle. I don't think that's too confusing for a child to handle. I think if you really dig deep and talk about certain things, that could be that could be too confusing. Like he's sure that God exists, but she knows that he doesn't, and this is a huge deal. Like that—that's not good. But you know, just just basically, like you know, there are different kinds of people in the world. They 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 pray to different gods. They believe in different things. Some people don't believe in any gods. Through history, people believed in. Di- I mean, just just to. You know they shouldn't be fed one one um, worldview. That I think is poison. Um, so.
1: Yeah. Now, one of the things that I've got from RFR is listening to all of these stories of people who didn't learn about evolution until they were like twenty, and okay. to me that is like mind-blowing because i've i've been raised in a in an atheist household they never spoke about god i heard the word god for the first time when i was like five or or like seven or something i was like what's that like i didn't understand so when i heard that uh when i've been hearing all of these stories of so many people who have been so isolated from the world it's just incredible that like you know they're so as you say parents trying to not confuse them but they're actually just kind of overprotecting them of, of reality, kind of, because I mean, evolution is obviously a fact, <laughs> uh, not just a story. So, yeah, right. I think it's great that you're writing all of, these, all of these books and helping parents in that because I have no idea of how I'm going to teach my kids about death. Uh, evolution seems a bit, you know, more manageable, but, but right. other topics such as death or aliens and things like that, it's,
2: right. yeah. Right. And my books do leave room for religious faith. They really do. I, I take great efforts to make my books pro-science and not anti-anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess anti-ignorance, but not, <clears throat> you know, you know. in my books, um, Tardigrade Tom comes along or the Skeptosaurus dinosaur. And he kind of says, you know, we don't know if there's an afterlife. He doesn't say there is no afterlife. He says, we don't know. Uh, We don't know certain things, but then he says, here's what we do know. So I kind of take the approach of like, there are things we don't know. There are things we might know one day we might not, but what we do know, reality is good enough. Reality is so much more beautiful and amazing and something to celebrate than, you know, any myth or fairy tale. Um, And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the main philosophy behind my books. I really try to, you know, I, I think there's a, a, there's a lot of religious people out there that are ph- philosophical pragmatics. They're just—they're just like a lot of them admit. Like I don't know if there's evidence for God or for religion or this or that, but it gives me comfort. And you know, I—I I, I get how the ritual and the culture could give comfort. But when it comes to certain core beliefs, especially as they started in, to impinge on scientific beliefs, I—I I think there's a misconception out there that reality is is tragic and no way to live and all there is is uh, meaninglessness and, and mortality and we should just give up and we need something magical to um, rescue us from ourselves. And, you know, climate change is scary and death is scary. And you know, taking care of the planet is hard work. And these things are all scary. And it's so much easier to just kind of feel like there's a a big brother or a big, you know, alpha, alpha, who will take care of us and everything will be okay. I think Coronavirus kind of woke a lot of people up like the world is a little more fragile than we maybe thought. And we have to come together and, you know, figure this out ourselves. So
0: I hear a lot uh, about um, folks complaining about kids these days and that they're only playing video games or watching TV in front of the screen all the time. And um, how would you kind of, if if you were a parent to some of those kids, how would you kind of work to uh, deal with that? Is that a good thing in your opinion? Is that a bad thing in your opinion? Um, And what would you do if if something needed to be uh, uh, adjusted?
2: So when you say, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What is, what do you, what, what is the word that referring to? Exactly.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah. uh, Too much screen time, too many video games, too many, uh, too much, too much TV.
2: Oh, so I'm not really qualified. I mean, in that area, but I think it depends on the kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for a large, a large portion of children, that's a bad thing kids should be out and playing and um, being part of the real world. Honestly, for a large portion, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it depends on the personality of the child. Um, The child might have certain needs or certain um, emotional ways that they relate through technology that, that I, I I think it depends on every situation. I think every situation is different. And I think if it, if it's, you know, everyone has a a, a a part of life where, oh, for two years I, in college, I was a big party animal or I was, you know, in, in middle school, I stayed up till 2 a.m. playing video games. But then I, I you know, one day after a year and a half or, you know, I, I pulled myself out of it and, it, you know, they learn from it and they and it, it I think in a way it almost enriches who they are because they went through that and they 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 you know, they learned how to enjoy that. It was a big part of their life. They got over it and they pulled themselves out of it. I think if someone's doing that for, you know, if, if it's getting destructive and they're killing, you know, the schoolwork is suffering and it's going on for years, then it's a big issue. But that's something I would tell everyone to like, I am not, I am not qualified to speak on that in a professional way. And I would, um, every child is different and, and, um, you know, they should definitely, like, consult someone who could talk to that situation.
0: You also uh, mentioned, like, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, how to get kids to think critically when it comes to different belief systems, um, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or or even uh, uh, the lack of a belief in any religion. Um, What are some of the things that you would do to... uh, help kids think uh explore the world around them uh more in the science realm and less in the philosophy or religion realm
2: okay so less in the philosophy so in the science realm Mm -hmm. for young children honestly get the hell out of the way um (laughs) children are born scientists they're born explorers and i know you know i'm guilty of it when my son starts you know when i'm making bread and he's mushing the flour and stretching it and throwing it across the kitchen I get upset at him and I tell him stop and he's like I want to see what'll happen if I Um, if I mush it on the wall and I'm like don't just just don't touch anything just stop and like I'm guilty of that so you should not do what I what I do sometimes I mean I think we're all guilty of that but you know number one get out of the way let them explore Wait, um.
0: Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. As a kid, if there was a switch, I'd have to flick it to see what happened. If there was a plug, I'd have to unplug it and see what happened. And then the fire department would show up because an alarm went off. Um, if there was like a dead appliance, I had to take it apart. And um, you know, my parents, uh, thankfully, let me do those kinds of things. And I learned a ton about uh, uh, how things are made in the world around me.
2: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yesterday I built a trellis, which I did not know what it was a week ago, but <laughs> I, I'm sure most, I think everybody knows, but I didn't know. Regarding. <laughs> um, but I was putting the screws in and I, I said, you know, to my son, Aiden, come here. And he helped me put them in. And Annabelle said, can I put one in? And I said, of course you can. And So that was great. You know, there's a little engineering, but try to get them engaged. Um, try to, not get too upset at the messes and the destruction because children are naturally born scientists and they want to touch and feel and run and jump and they're um they're they're learning through that. So that's number 1. Second thing I would say is to model curiosity to hmm. I like to say to my kids I wonder, you know, I wonder how far that star is. I wonder how hot it is. I want, you know, just kind of don't even don't even give knowledge. Don't even say answers, just kind of wonder things out loud. And then, and then they, they might come up with, you know, answers that are either hilarious or actually pretty um, amazing and intuitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, and it doesn't matter if it's the right answer or not. And it doesn't matter if you know the right answer or not just having those discussions and saying, I wonder how this happens. I wonder why, um, I think that cultivates a lot of curiosity.
1: Mm-hmm. And how can you deal with um, either community members or like close family who are very religious, very fundamentalist, and they're trying to indoctrinate your kids whilst you're trying to do the opposite? How do you deal with, with that but, dichotomy?
2: So that's a, that's a very important question. It's kind of a, a narrow, broad question. I think it depends on every situation. Listen, everyone's situation is different. So it depends. Um, but if you can't keep them away from certain people, or maybe you don't want to, maybe I'm not saying people should do that. There's sometimes, sometimes it's worth the price. Sometimes, um, a kid could, could hear some things they shouldn't hear so they could have a relationship with their grandparents or their cousins or whatever it is. Sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's not. It's a case by case decision and everyone has to do what's best for them. um, but the best thing, there's two things I want to say. Number one is, and, and this was something I had to swallow and it made me feel a lot better. I think kids being proselytized to <coughs> is actually a good thing in certain situations. And I'm talking about a situation where you could go home and you could tell them, well, that's what they believe, but it's really important. Let me take you to uh Uncle Aunt Carol, because she, you should hear what she has to say. If a kid is never proselytized to in their life, and then they're proselytized to when they're 16 or 18 for the first time heavily, they're going to be like, wow, I never heard any of this stuff before. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of a vaccine where you give a vaccine where you basically give someone a a, a tiny portion of a virus or, you know, and, and then they're a little bit more immune to it. Like a, um, a God
0: think, virus? What? Like a God virus?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to, you know.
0: <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's the title of Dr. Daryl Ray's book. So I was just. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Okay. All right. So maybe, uh, but um, yeah, I think that uh, to answer your question, Amaya, I think <clears throat> I had a hard time, he, you know, just sitting there and listening to people tell my kids certain things. But then I'm like, you know what? I heard this stuff. I grew up only hearing this stuff. And, you know, through hearing other stuff by other people, I I was able to really t- take it all in and think about it and, and turn it over in my head. So I think um, to answer your question, sometimes, you know, people could decide to cut off relationships. But if they don't, sometimes it's not such a bad thing as long as you kind of set, set against that. Um, Do you know what I mean? You know, once you go home, once you're out of that situation, it might be not best to start a whole debate then. But, you know, on another day, you know, make sure, make absolutely sure that your kids know that like, what that person said, you don't agree with. And a lot of other people don't agree with and a lot of other people do agree with. And I, I think that's a great way to 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 let the child put it in into um, put it into its place and not consider those words as strong as uh, they otherwise would have.
0: So it sounds like.
1: Uh, oh, sorry, Eric, go on.
0: It sounds like uh, allow them to be um, proselytized to, but make sure that you can quote unquote debrief them afterwards and have a conversation about it afterwards. Uh, what what do they get out of it? Um, Was there? You know, how does this compare to what Uncle or what Aunt Carol said? uh, Type of thing. Okay.
2: Yeah, pluralism is everything. Got it. And that's why a lot of people hate pluralism, and they. um, I mean, I'll tell you. uh, Orthodox women cover their hair most of the time. My mother stopped covering her hair a few years ago, and my sister said to me, "I'm talking years ago." My sister said to me. You know, I don't know what to do. Like if she comes over, my kids are going to be so confused. I don't want to tell her not to come over. But like if she comes over, you know, in pants or with her hair uncovered, my kids are going to be so confused. What should I do? You know, and this might sound like a ridiculous question to to you all or to certain people. But this is like a thing, like people don't want their kids to know that there are people that aren't exactly like them. So, you know, I told my sister, I think it's great. I think you should tell them the truth. Tell them that people do people do different things. People believe different things. Some people believe the same thing, but they practice differently. And I think uh, that's actually something you should tell them anyway, you know. Uh, I think that's what I said to her, and I hope that's what I said to her. <laughs> but um, but you yeah. know, one way or the other. <laughs> exactly. Pluralism is the most important shield or sword we have. To some people, it's a shield. To some people, it's a sword. And some people hate it, and they don't want their kids to know about it.
1: Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts about um, how we educate our children in morality and ethics? Because obviously, it's not as straightforward, I guess, as science. If, if science is straightforward, which we could right. debate about that, but right. you know what I mean.
2: So could you... So... I want to, I'm trying to decide whether to ask you to make that more specific. In, in what sense? Uh, yeah, so like,
1: um, would you, do you prefer to tell your children what is wrong and what is right, or let them discover it by themselves? And if, if so, and if you think they're going through a wrong way, or, or a way that you disagree with, how do you manage that? Because I feel like it's it's a bit different from, I don't know, just a random belief or, or I don't know, how to make something, I don't know, how to make like a scientific experiment or something like that. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, yes, it does. I think it is a very good thing to tell your children what is right and what is wrong um, to your best ability and also kind of tell them that we're always learning and something that we thought was right one day might one day be wrong and vice versa. And I think it's actually good maybe when they're older to teach them that one day we thought slavery was right. And one day for actually thousands of years and many generations, we thought um, that certain people that didn't look like us or think like us um, were bad people. And I think, I think science, I mean, there, I gave a whole talk to the ethical culture society about the is ought problem and yeah. David Hume's is odd issue and whether or not we could learn morality from science. And, you know, so that, that's a whole talk. To- I mean, you open a can of worms, which is great. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is I think it's a great thing to tell your kids what's right and wrong. I think it's also a great thing to tell your kids that we're always learning and we're always hopefully getting better as history, uh, as history progresses. And, um, and, you know, and teach them that um, I think cross the is ought line. Basically, teach. I mean, this is what my books do. It teaches that because you know, facts were made from the same stuff, and we're all related. We're all together. We're all equal. The color of someone's skin is like a, a, a cow with white and black spots versus a brown cow. I mean, it's it's so genetically. I mean, it's it's nothing. It's like the color of our eyes. It's 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 really it's. Teach children science-based ethics and evidence-based morality. Absolutely. Um, but let them know that it's not infallible and that we're always learning.
0: So it's almost like you're teaching them that the world is uh, shades of gray and not necessarily black and white.
2: Um, yes. Or yeah. that it's black and white in certain ways, but that changes. And yeah, I mean... It's hard for me to impose the black... Yeah, maybe, maybe. But kind of honestly teach morality like we teach science and we teach history. This is what we know, but we're always learning and we might be wrong about something, you know? And by the way, this is why we have debates about um, pro-life versus pro-choice and gun control. I mean, those are moral issues and we're learning and we're thinking and we're looking at data and we're seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, So... (laughs)
0: going um going a little bit back to uh, um getting kids in front of as many different types of religions as possible uh it it sounds kind of like a, a nice way to if if a kid sees and knows that all of these different people believe all sorts of different things it would be much harder for that kid to think that there is one true religion um if they're given an example of of dozens or, or so, or one true belief system, it sounds like. Is is that close to what you're saying?
2: Yes. And that if they one day decide that there is one true religion, which they are less inclined to do, but if they do, it at least would have been that that conclusion, that house that they stand on, they would have mm-hmm. built themselves. Got it. Which yeah. is, I think, very important which I think is more important than the conclusion someone's comes to. Um, You know, whether no matter, it's more important that my children, whatever belief system they end up with is their own, that they got through, but on their own volition, you know, as much as possible um, than that. They just like agree with me completely, you know, I don't care. I mean, that would be nice, I guess, but like, It's not them; it's me. That's that's them being little copies of me. That's not appealing. So, yeah, it it shields them against being a sheep, essentially.
1: And you mentioned before that uh, your wife is religious. Um, How do you navigate that?
2: Yeah, uh, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks everyone for coming.
0: This was RFRX. We really appreciate your time. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> no um, so one way I got lucky is that she's so incredibly non-dogmatic. And for her, it's just, a, it, it's just she says, it's like, it's a, it's a personal thing. Um, so, you know, she does her thing. I do my thing. Listen, it's, it's hard. Um, also, there is value in certain ritualistic, in some of the rituals that I see that I think are beautiful. I think it's very beautiful for a a family to turn off their screens and come together and sit at a dinner table every Friday night and sing songs together and focus on each other. Um, There are certain, you know, we have a sense of community and there are certain things that are very nice. And then, um, you know, my wife's like, do whatever the hell you want. I just don't wanna see it really, you know, like, you know, there's, it's hard, but it's doable. Um, If two people really respect each other, and they give each other a very long leash or no leash at all but they they just see it as like we're both adults you Mm. know this is a personal thing this isn't you know and my wife is extremely like I think even more so than I she's interested in learning about other cultures and other religions and history and I mean she's a plural you know there are different as we all know there are just like there are different kinds of skeptics, there are many different kinds of, of theists and religious people. Um, and my wife leans far more liberal and pluralistic, so you know she sees it as a personal thing, and um, and that's all. So that helps, but it is uh, it is it's playing itself out, and we're learning as we go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I imagine, I mean. Me with my partner, we already have like small disagreements on how we want to raise our kids and uh, many years in the future, or I don't know, disagreements on different things. But I guess it's not the same when it's like when you're just a couple or when you have children that you have to, you know, take care of and teach and kind of guide in life and whatnot. So that must be quite challenging. Um, I'm very, I'm very grateful that my partner isn't, isn't religious um, because I feel like I would find it personally very, very difficult yeah uh, so yeah all the props to you because <laughs> yeah I wouldn't know are, how
2: to deal. you know i think you learn what the other person needs and you 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 know you make sure to give them what they need and if you can't you you let them know like this is something i can't like i can't you know you 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 figure out through time and through pain it's a painful process often but i think you learn through time Um, and I think not just with religion, like that's not, it's with everything. There's always huge issues. And, um, you know, you learn through time. I think anyone that's in a relationship here for years could attest through time. You learn where you could push and where you can't and you all kind of work it out. Mm
0: -hmm. Now we talked a lot about kind of, uh, keeping, um, let's see our own children, uh, curious. And, um, what, what would you kind of recommend or how would you approach maybe like uh, you have a nephew or a niece or um uh, someone someone else's children uh do you have any um approach towards keeping them curious as well or kind of maybe cultivating curiosity in uh, in 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 uh, those those situations
2: so that's a great question my philosophy is don't go after anyone don't chase anyone Kind of like if you build it, they will come. And if they don't, if you build it, those that want to come will come. Those be available. Those that seek you out will seek you out. Um, I mean, I do. The only problem with that is, you know, I do wish that when I was a lot younger, someone was more aggressive and, you know, came brought things to me that I had to only seek out later in life. Mm I you know the opposite side of that is just everyone proselytizing to everyone, and um, I think you know in a world with the internet, a lot of barriers are being broke down. I'm actually friends with um, a few folks over at Ideas Beyond Borders. I'm sorry, what are, I'm having borders. Yeah, Ideas Beyond Borders, and they're they're actually um, they actually already translated my my children's book on evolution into Arabic. And made it available for free on the internet to the Arab world. Um, uh-huh. So that's amazing. I think with, I, I think with in today's day and age, it's getting easier and easier for people to seek out knowledge. So I think don't go after anyone. Just build, you know, whether it's children's books or a website or a Facebook group, whatever it is, whatever you could do if you are enthusiastic about something start an organization, do what you can, get your knowledge out there, and those that, you know, make it available.
0: Uh, Would you possibly use the um, I wonder type of trick with them too as well?
2: (sighs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And even if they give the wrong answer, there just kind of nod and say, huh, I wonder, you know, and just kind of keep that going because that I think will shake their, um, if they feel like they've already gotten the, answer to a question like how did life begin which we're not completely certain about at all Mm -hmm. um you know if they think they know the answer to that question for example and they're so certain just keep saying i wonder i wonder if that makes sense you know and you know at at worst you did nothing but at best you 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 planted a seed excellent (laughs) and Uh, without rocking the boat too much so
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, could you please send us like the link for all the translations? Um, because we have audience from all over around the world, so if they can get a copy in their own language, that'd be that'd be amazing.
2: Absolutely, I have to email them. I don't know if the, it was actually published yet. They said they finished the translation. So, but when it gets published, um, which should be sometime real soon, within the next few weeks, I hope um, I will definitely send you the link.
0: Cool. Awesome, Amaya. Do you have any other questions for?
1: uh not on my side um, do you have anything else you want to add or anything you want to say before we jump to the Q&A?
2: I think that's it i i uh people could learn more about me and the the pro- my project at annabelle i think amaya put the link earlier in the chat and uh, annabelle and Eden spelled the most common way um so that's annabelle and com. And it's been an honor to be here. And honestly, I'm excited for any questions and to hopefully hang out for a bit. So I will uh, pass it on. This has been great. Awesome.
1: Fantastic. That's amazing. Um, so the first question we got, um, I feel like it's not, it's not a very long question, but uh, someone is asking if you have heard of the Stardust series by a cho- child author, Bailey Harris.
2: Yes, I have. I am very, I, I can't, can I say I'm friends with them if I never met them in person? the the digital <laughs> think, right? This, um, is the,
0: this is the 21st century, of, of yeah. course you can. Totally,
2: totally. Eric so and I, I are
1: friends I've never seen him in my life.
2: Yeah, so they are wonderful. Bailey is wonderful. We have supported each other's campaigns and we have been in touch and they're a, I'm very grateful for their support. They've been a big support of the Annabelle and Aiden series. Um, and it's funny, we, you know, I spoke at, we keep speaking at different conferences and appearing in different places, but we have yet to meet. They are in, uh, I think they're in like Salt Lake City. Um, so, and I'm in the New York area. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a great series and I recommend everyone to check it out. Hopefully one day we'll meet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um okay, so someone else asks, um, at what age could you give your kids religious books like the Bible to read on their own? Uh so something a bit more, you know, thick.
2: Right. It's so funny for me to even think like that because I was reading mm-hmm. the Bible for you know three hours a day since I was uh you know a young boy. Um
0: well, that was the that was the Bible without the New Testament though, Right, right,
2: right, 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 right. that was the more Um, exciting half (laughs) the more exciting half lots of killing yeah Mm. lots of war lots of genocide um it depends what you're giving it them for I think when they're it also depends it completely depends why you're giving to them and how they're learning about it if they're learning about comparative religion then it's a wonderful idea um maybe when they're 14 or 14 and up 15 and up um and I think before that, you could give them portions of it to read. Um, before that, I don't think they're going to want to read this huge, thick book. So I think um, I think parts of it when they're young, and then when they're 13, 14, they could really start um, trying to chew on and absorb larger portions of it.
1: Uh, so the next question is, is there any topic that you think we shouldn't discuss with our children?
2: Ah. Uh. I'm the kind of person that would say no, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but that's because I'm very creative and thinking of ways to phrase things. Okay. So, you know, we should never talk to young children about rape. Honestly, I don't think they should know it exists, but I think it's great to tell children that sometimes people do bad things. So you Mm -hmm. just kind of go up the ladder of obscurity and you tell them sometimes people, do things they don't want to do. And sometimes people are stronger than others and they force them to do things that they don't want to do. Like if I want your money uh, and you don't want to give it to me, you know, some people do bad things like that. I think you could always move up the ladder of obscurity in a creative way. So my answer to that would be, I don't think there's anything that you shouldn't talk to children about. I think if something is true, then it's worth talking about. Um, or it's, it's at least not worth hiding. Um, I like the quote, a lot of people, it's funny, a lot of secular people agree with, and a lot of religious people disagree with the following quote. If something could be undone by the truth, then it deserves to be undone period, period. Yeah. So do I think that's always ap- applicable? Almost always, almost always. Um, so yeah, I lean towards um talk to your kid about it if you could do so in a safe way. If you don't think you can, then don't. Then then hold off. But I think people could be more creative about things than they think they can.
0: All right. And we have one last question. So um what happens or, or what advice would you give if you've if a parent has already indoctrinated their kid and then they've deconverted besides encouraging them to ask questions, would you have any other advice?
2: So if they already indoctrinated their kids into what, how did what?
0: Into a religious belief system.
2: Okay. And then the children deconverted.
0: No, and then let's say let's say I've got kids, yeah. and uh, I raise them from age zero to ten uh, in a Christian Baptist household, and then uh, I, I turn forty and I uh, have a midlife crisis and leave my religion, but my kids are still indoctrinated. What? Uh, where do I go from there?
2: Oh gosh.
0: And I'm a little concerned about outing myself too.
2: <clears throat> right,
0: right. Seems like asking questions might start uh that process the best
2: right right well is the person asking because they want to do that and they're wondering how or they're wondering if they should even do that in the first place
1: if they um, more of a how, how
2: okay, I feel like, okay okay
1: yeah
2: so there's a few questions here how should they come out themselves if so how number one number two Should they even pass that on to their children and share it with them and try to teach their children? So there's a few questions here. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll try to, I'm scurrying about where to start, but just quickly, what I did, I never had a coming out really. Uh, I mean, I did with my father, who's extremely, extremely, extremely faithful and religious to God. Um, You know, I came out to him because I wanted to pull the bandaid off, but There's something I call coming out without coming out. And that's basically just kind of changing the way you dress, changing the way you talk, changing the way you live a little bit to be closer approximation to your belief system. And people see it, people aren't stupid. You know, so I think sometimes it's a good idea to rip the bandaid off. But sometimes if you feel like you you know your children are a certain way and you're a certain age if this is the person's question and they don't know whether to come out or how you don't always need to have a coming out facebook post or a coming out announcement sometimes you could just change and people aren't stupid and and i don't think they look down on people um because they know that people change and people grow there's a beautiful comic of a uh two caterpillars coming together but one of them for a reunion but one of them has these beautiful butterfly wings so the caterpillar says you've changed and the butterfly says we're supposed to (laughs) and i think um i think it's okay to like you don't need to coming out you could just kind of and then if they question you know, oh, why are you, uh, why are you doing that? You could be like, you know, I just never saw the point in that. I don't really, it never really, it doesn't really make sense to me anymore. And that could start the conversation. And that's a good thing because you didn't start the conversation, they did. So you're not the proselytizing person. You're, you're just living your own life and you're doing your thing. And if they, you know, you're almost kind of inviting them if they want to question you. And then, you know, you kind of won because you start, I mean, everybody wins, but you were able to, they wanted to start the conversation. You didn't start it. Um, And that way you could have the conversation and talk, you know, Um, in terms of deconverting them.
0: I think uh, it was more a question of how do I go about um, parenting the the kids or uh, keeping these kids more curious or starting to ask uh, think critically, even though I've indoctrinated them for the first 10 years of their life, and now I no longer believe what I taught them. How do I go about undoing that? They perhaps...
2: I have a friend who grew up extremely um, sheltered and religious, and he has uh, three kids, I think three, and they just completely became secular, dropped it off. They moved apartments, they moved to a different community, and they explained it to their kids. I think it depends on the kid's age. Mm -hmm. Um, but at whatever kid's age they're at, the answer should not be, leave them alone. The answer should not be, well, they're already emotionally dependent on these beliefs, so they should never be exposed to the truth or what I think is the truth. I think that's always the wrong answer. Um, the only question is not if you should expose them to, to other things, it should be how that's the only question. And the answer is slowly, but it depends on, you know, I can't answer that. It depends on the child. It depends on the age. It depends. But absolutely, it could start with, you know, this, you know, this, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy says this, you know, what do you think about that? You know, so it doesn't have to come from you. It could come from someone else. That's a lot less threatening. So you could show them a YouTube video. You could show them a book. Um, I know Richard Dawkins wrote a book for young teenagers uh, within the past few years. Um, Just expose them to other stuff and you could make it like not from you, but you can make it like from other people. And then you could say, you know, I kind of like this video. I think it's kind of cool. I didn't know that that's the that's how it all works, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, Jr., thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us today. This was this was fantastic, and um, as if I didn't get my point across at the beginning, I strongly encourage each one of you to check out uh, Jr.'s books. Um, I am over forty, and I love them, and so I have my own copies. (laughs) (laughs) If I can do it, you can
2: too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Aaron.
0: Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.